Future trading involves risk and is not suitable for all investors. Content provided in this segment is meant for educational purposes and is not a solicitation to buy or sell commodities. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome back to another GDT Tuesday with myself, Cody Coster, and with me, per usual, from Chicago, Mr. John Spainhower. John, how are we doing? Doing great, Cody. Great to have you back. I was feeling kind of lonely on your podcast last week without hey, you. The uh, the winter flu gets us every once in a while, and it just happened to be on GDT Tuesday that she caught up with me. So we're uh, we're over it. We're good. Back in the saddle, as they say. Well, happy to have you here. Awesome. Well, we had the GDT number 302 today, and from the numbers that came out, pretty still pretty bullish GDT as we've had the past couple of episodes. You know, Cody, we uh, settled the entire index 4.2% higher. And I think that's just uh, another testament in itself to how strong this market is, especially on the international market. When you go down through there, some of the big winners were skim milk powder coming in at 6% higher. That clocks in at about $1.95 US on a dollar per pound. Whole milk powder, the, the big dog of the whole auction itself was up 4.1% bringing it over to cheddar up 3.5% and that puts New Zealand cheddar at $2.67 and then finally butter up uh 5.1% and it is going to put the New Zealand butter in here at about $2.95 uh, so another very strong auction and some of the highlights of the auction, if you really just want to dial into it real quick, is that, uh, you know, we mentioned, uh, I think it was six or seven months ago, uh, there was a, a surprise announcement from Fonterra that they were pulling volumes down off of the GDT and they were doing so because from what we were able to put together, they were able to sell a lot of their volumes directly over or outside of the GDT, presumably to China. And that decreased the amount of volume on the GDT, but it also decreased the uh, amount of buyers or the the bidding that was on there. And when we saw that, we saw if we look at it on a year-over-year basis, we saw Chinese participation on the auction itself get down to be, you know, I think at one point in time, 40% less than the year-over-year. I think a lot of people interpreted that as a, well, China's done buying. And I think we really stressed here on this program that it was more of a, no, I think they just bought directly over. Since, uh, you know, getting back into this fall, we started to see that number creep back up. Last week, or excuse me, two weeks ago, um, their week year over year volume was down 22%. And this auction, uh, it was down only 11%. So it, it's a, it might be uh, easy for some people to look at the volume and say, well, China's down 11% year over year and say that uh, that, you know, means that the Chinese are, you know, off of, or, you know, demand is down. I really don't see it that way. I see it as the, uh, you know, kind of what we've been saying. They, they, they contracted quite a bit of product off the exchange. So therefore, they didn't participate on the exchange. We're now six to seven months down the road and they're starting to come back to the exchange. And as a result, we get these ever higher GDT prices. The one thing I will also say is the Southeast Asians, um, they've been very active and they brought their participation up last um, two weeks ago to uh, like 50% over the year over year. So they really starting to get busy there. This week, they're down to exactly even with their participation from last year. And then finally, some of the other guys like uh, Africa, they were up 190%. Sounds impressive, but it's important to keep that in context. They just um, 
you know, are starting from a really low base. So again, a very uh, positive auction, another one to put in the books as being higher. If there was any sort of bearish tint that you could add to this would just be that whole milk powder was expected to come in a little bit higher than it actually did. And, you know, that would be about the third or fourth auction in a row where we've seen just a slight disappointment and the actual auction results as it relates to the futures on the NZX futures as they were predicting the price to be. And I think a lot of folks, you know, the thing that I've been hearing this past week, John, you know, kind of leading up to the GDT is, okay, the GDT the past three, four times we've had it has been positive and then our prices actually slip a little bit. And when you look at cheese, um, you know, our cheese price is about 70 cent deficit to the rest of the world, butter about 38 cents from the math that you and I were doing, which brings class three to about a $5 deficit to what EU and New Zealand are looking at. And I think a lot of folks are saying, why are we right now such a deficit if you guys have been talking about these exports getting off and exports being really good and, and shipping's um, kind of getting taken care of, especially on, on the West Coast? And I know that's a very broad question, but is there any kind of a reason that when we have these GDT auctions and there's, they seem to be so bullish – our prices just kind of flutter, even though our spot was extremely good today. I'll give you that, but the futures are just kind of just kind of hanging out, I guess. I guess woe is he who doesn't believe in the uh, power of international markets, Cody. Yeah. Um, no, in, in all seriousness, class four right now in the U.S. is twenty six twenty eight by my calculations, and if we look at the EU, it's at twenty six fifty four, and New Zealand's at twenty seven dollars. I, I can look at the U.S. nonfat and butter price and say it has responded to the international markets, um, and it is right in line. You know, we could say there's a little bit of discount or discrepancy, but you know that that's just you know splitting hairs here. When we pull it back over to the class three, to your point, the U.S. class three right now is about twenty one eighty seven. EU is twenty seven sixty nine, and New Zealand is about twenty eight sixty five. So, really, a significant discount in the class three market as compared to class three around the world, and also compared to here in the U.S., which we mentioned was twenty six twenty eight. So, I think what we can look at is to say the problems that the cheese market are is experiencing is a uniquely cheese problem as it relates to dairy exports and or, or dairy pricing. Uh, if I was to you know kind of say, well, what are the issues that might be creating that? One would be it, the fact that our our capacity to manufacture cheese has increased this year or in the past year. So. And our capacity to manufacture class four or nonfat and butter has not. And at the same point in time, we saw a downturn in milk production. I think what that meant was that, you know, a lot of the milk that was available was going into class three. So I don't want to say we overproduced class three, and maybe we have as much as we, we've probably underproduced class four. You know, a lot of these areas, specifically up in your neck of the woods, Cody, we've talked about it several times, but there was a massive cheese plant that went into an area that was predominantly class four. And a lot of that milk got sucked into that class three plant and right out of those class four plants. And, you know, as the, the international bid came in and took up butter and 
or and nonfat specifically, um, you know, you say, well, we should respond to that by making more. And in fact, we've actually made less. Um, at the same point in time, we've made about the same amount, if not a little bit more cheese, I think on the whole, you know, nothing monumental, but we did have a downturn in milk production that probably hindered that. If we go to the other side of the coin here and say, well, what, why isn't product shipping? We'll say, you know, our export report shows that cheese exports have been pretty good on the, on the whole. But if I go back to what Matt Gould told me six to seven months ago, cheese exports better be good because if not, we're going to have a problem. So for me to just look at the export report and say, boy, those cheese exports are good, that really falls in line with what Matt was saying, that they need to be good because we're making so much more. Now, it's of my belief that we've got the ability to export more than we have and that we will export more than we ever have. What has held that back is exactly what you're saying. Up to this date, it seems like there's been some problems getting that product on a boat and getting it out of the country. It has not been is the U.S. competitive or not from a price standpoint. It has not been that people prefer our cheese over somebody else's cheese. It's literally come down to, can I buy that product from you and get it on a boat and get it to where I need to go? I can look at those exports and say, in general, product has been leaving, but a lot of it's been going to Mexico where it doesn't have to get on a boat. What we have seen, though, in the last few weeks, in the last week specifically, is uh, a lot of people have expressed the fact that they're seeing export bids come in and that there have been a lot of exports booked. And what's really interesting about it is, is that some people will say, yeah, the, the boat situation has gotten better. Others will say, well, I don't, I don't know if the boat situation has gotten better or not, but I don't think that this person would have booked exports if, the, if they didn't have a boat. So it, it that alone tells me that there's been some movement on that you know, port issue. At the same point in time, some of the other things that we might be able to look at, like a freight or shipping index, some of those things are showing us that the price of freight uh, and, and the, you know, ocean bound freight has started to drop. That suggests that there's some capacity that's opening up. And I would say that with each and every week, as long as this continues, we'll start shipping more and more and more product. And I think you'll, what you'll start to see is that the U.S. cheese price will start to climb here and start to converge on the other products and specifically on the other cheese prices around the world. It seems to be, you know, here in the States, that $2 cheese price has been kind of a, a ceiling for us the past year, uh, year and a half, if you will. You know, do you think a lot of that has to do with, in the past, the export problems that we have seen? Because like you said, if, if you don't have the ride out of here, you're probably not going to get all those exports booked to get on said ship. But now that they're more uh, abundant, I guess, those exports have kind of picked up and we've been seeing a lot more, you know, getting shipped out, I suppose. I do think you'll see more of that product get shipped out. If we look at it to say, you know, have we found a price ceiling or have we seen resistance at $2 in the past? And are we going to see that moving forward? I would just say that in the past, the times that we've approached $2, this, you know, recent year withstanding, the international markets were not above $2 for the most part. 
So yes, we had a little bit of competitive advantage at times, but sometimes we were ahead of the international market, and I don't think we had that marginal amount of exports booked that we needed. This time I can say the U.S. cheese market is just behind the rest of the world. Um, that's good and bad, right? I mean, it means we're getting a little bit less for our, uh, well, a lot less for our cheese prices than the rest of the world is. And at the same point in time, right now, we're probably buying demand in. And the more of that demand that we buy in right now, it, it probably starts to spread the good word, if you would, if you will, about U.S. cheese and how it's fungible with the rest of the world. And longer term, we will probably become more of a supplier of cheese into the international market. And that's kind of what these prices will do is maybe help us buy into the rest of the world market. Perfect. I guess from a standpoint of just this GDT alone, was there anything that really stuck out to you that would have been different from two weeks ago or, or even four weeks ago that really, you know, kind of came to the forefront of your mind? Or was it just kind of another, hey, we're heading higher in the in, in the global market and, and so is the U.S. slowly but surely uh, following right along? You know, if there's one thing I can point to uh, and that stands out is I think more and more people here in the U.S. are starting to come to the conclusion, specifically in the cheese market, that this is probably the probably a structural issue, right? And I, I think that's been something that people have been a little hesitant about. In the past, sometimes when we go to $2 cheese or even when we get a price spike on any one of our products, you know, the, the, the old axiom is, well, what goes up must come down, right? And we'll see, we went up, we got a response, we'll kill demand and we're going to fall back down, right? Or we're going to go fix some sort of problem. And I, I think that's been one of the things that people have looked at and butter and said, well, we're going to go, we went to $3 butter. We'll probably kill demand once we get up there and problem solved. Non-fat, well, you know, every time we go above $1.50, you know, that kills demand and problem solved. And specifically cheese, oh man, we can't, we can't go above $2 because that will kill demand. Or most importantly, people will say that will increase supply, right? And if we, if we bifurcate the argument to say, on the demand front, of course, at some point in time, we will kill demand. There is no doubt about that. But if you look at it from an overall inflationary standpoint right now, where, where, where is, what is the alternative other than just to ration off food, right? And I recognize that dairy prices are a high value nutrient. And at the same point in time, they're a very important part of the diet for most of the people in the world or a lot of people in the world, and then turn that to um, the idea of what are your alternatives, right? We're, we're on the, specifically on the fat side, every commodities in general <clears throat> on the food side are, are all extremely high. So yes, at some point in time, we'll tone down this inflationary standpoint and we will kill demand, but I, I just don't see that in the cards at this very moment. Bring it back over to the supply side and you say these high prices are by all means going to increase supply. And I would say to uh, people, yeah, sure. Uh, but I, I, I think we definitely have to bifurcate that argument in itself to a regional basis. Here in the U.S., I've seen uh, Matt Gould's done some great modeling on the, uh, you know, income over feed and, and, and just, you know, where do we see profitability and how long do we need to see profitability before we start to see the, the herd expand? He's done some really great work on that. And I encourage anybody who's interested to, you know, give us a call and talk in more detail about that. But in general, these high prices are going to create milk here in the U.S. The question comes down to how fast and how much, right? That's kind of the calculus here, but I don't think there's much of a debate. 
if we look at what is part of the problem in general on the international price level, it would be European milk production. And I, I know everybody's heard me talk about it on this podcast before, but I think it really just still sticks to say European milk production has suffered severely because of EU environmental regulations. And I don't see those environmental regulations going away anytime soon. In fact, since in the last few weeks, the Irish, who have been kind of an engine of growth in European milk production, you know, they're now debating environmental regulations that might not only hinder their ability to grow, but could possibly start to slow or start cause them to reduce their milk production over the next decade or so. So if I guess what I'm trying to get at is here in the U.S., prices are probably going to do their job and they're going to increase milk production. Go over to Europe and you're probably going to, even if you want to grow, it's going to be very difficult to if the government has a regulation on you. And I think that's one of the things that's going to keep the U.S., or excuse me, is going to keep international prices high and continue to allow the U.S. to enjoy higher prices due to exports. Even, you know, I think we're going to we're going to export at higher prices, even with more milk production. Finally, when you go over to New Zealand, you know, there I don't think their environmental regulations are quite so stiff at this point in time. But uh, from what we've been able to understand, the the government is looking at enforce, you know, starting to get into these environmental regulations and start promoting tourism over agriculture. Seems a little bit baffling to me, but, you know, that's that's the world that uh, in the direction that the the world is going in here. So at the very least, uh, maybe they don't cause them to reduce their milk production in New Zealand, but they aren't likely to grow. Um, and, you know, I think you just have to maybe they this year we've been down, I think, five percent uh, in New Zealand. I think next year, you know, maybe you've got the ability to get back up to unchanged on a two year over two year over basis. But at the same point, I just don't see growth coming out of there. Um, so that being said, um, I think that it just points to the issues that we're dealing with here are a little bit structural or a lot structural, I guess. And my guess is, is that the more that this starts to sink into the market, the more you're going to start seeing buyers here in the U.S. start to go out on the both the spot and futures curve and start to become more committed to the idea that prices are going to be higher here in the U.S. probably through the end of 2022. Absolutely. I think, you know, kind of hitting on what you said, and I know Matt Gould has done uh, a lot of research on this also. You, you mentioned the, um, you know, margin milk over feed. But a lot of these co-ops are still cutting, you know, their 10 to 12% reductions. Uh, feed is getting harder and harder to find and, and sustain if you have a good crop. We don't know what that's going to look like even yet as a lot of the country is kind of covered in snow right now. Um, but it seems like every other week, and Matt's kind of hit on this too, that we keep seeing these dairy sales that pop up from California to New York to Florida. It's not just one region. It seems to be all over the country, which seems to have suppressed our milk production, at least for the time being also. I don't want to steal Matt's thunder. Um, he's done such a good job in the way he, he has created his argument. Yep. Uh, but I will say, you know, having been on a call, a few calls with him in the last week or so, I know that he has mentioned several times that, you know, his model projects that we should see, you know, maybe 1.2% growth as we get out into the second half of the year. 
right, due to these prices and the way his model looks. And I know he has mentioned several times that he's taken phone calls from producers that are really challenging him on that um, from the stamp, not to be contrarians or not to say that price is too cheap or, or you know, I, I, I think they're honestly saying to him, even if I wanted to expand my herd right now, uh, in order to, I would need to build out facilities and I would need new equipment and I would need new labor. And that all of those things are very hard to come by right now and have a very extremely large lead time in them. And so those are all things that are a little hard to quantify when you're building an economic model, um, you know, from Matt's perspective. But I know he's really taken that to heart because people have challenged, you know, the, the quantitative side and said from a qualitative side, yeah, your numbers make sense. It, it's just going to be almost impossible to get there just due to all of these, you know, um, supply chain issues and everything else that the world outside of dairy is dealing with right now as well. Absolutely. No, we've, we've got a lot of, a lot of things to look forward to in, uh, 2022 and it's, it's only begun my friends. So Cody, if I had just one thing to add here, and, and I think it really just brings it back full circle is to say, I think, you know, I don't want to say that the butter price is, doesn't have more upside to it. And I don't want to say that nonfat doesn't have more upside to it. They most certainly can. And then the direction they're headed, that looks like they will. However, if I, again, I will just say if there's one commodity um, that I would focus on that here in the U.S. that looks like it has upside protection or excuse me, upside potential, it would really be the cheese price or the class three price. And I guess from your perspective as a, somebody who, you know, really tries to work with your dairy producers and say, you know, tell them and guide them through the idea of when to hedge which commodity, I can say taking a lot, taking more risk off the table here uh, in class four is probably something you want to be doing. And if you have a little bit of choice over the matter, it's probably waiting a little bit here on class three to add more uh, and, and being more heavily weighted towards class four. Uh, from a buyer's perspective, I can look out there and probably look at it through the perspective of, yeah, um, again, we can still go higher um, on the class four products, but class three is probably where you've got the most exposure. And I, I would certainly look at that and say, there are a lot of signs pointing towards class three going higher, and I would seek to get some protection there. Awesome. Well, that's good to hear. Uh, you know, I've kind of tried to frame it that way, I guess, but it's always good, I believe, from a producer standpoint to hear from somebody else on the other side of the table that works more with the buying community. Uh, so I, I appreciate you saying that for sure, John. We started saying this when class four was at $22 and class three was at 16. Now class four is at $26 and class three is almost 22. So Class four has certainly helped drag class three up. It's just uh, that that basis between the two, you know, continues. So I look at that and say it's been a pretty good guide um, in terms of, you know, class four has been a pretty good guide on to where class three can go. And I think it will continue to be so. And I think what John is saying is don't get lulled to sleep with these high prices and even looking where EU and NZX are. If there are good profits on the table on both sides of the argument, things should be, you know, being looked at at least to be hedged uh, to protect yourself and to protect the business, essentially. Couldn't have said it better myself there, Cody. Well, with that, we will uh, let John get back to the rest of his day. Appreciate you being here, John, giving us some insight. If anybody has any comments, questions, or concerns, please feel free to get a hold of myself or John. Uh, we will discuss and talk about them on the next GDT 
uh, podcast, which is about two weeks away from now. Until then, John, appreciate you being on. You have a good one. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Cody. See you then. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.